The views and opinions expressed on Smack My Pitch Up are those of the panelists and not those of GUI Network, their sponsors, or any of the properties mentioned. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is rated R for violence, language, and nudity. Well, it's a podcast, so you won't see the nudity. I just do it to make the guest uncomfortable. In a world gone mad with unnecessary reboots, remakes, and sequels, only one podcast has the guts to make it even worse. This is Smack My Pitch Up. Hello, geeks, and welcome to another episode of Smack My Pitch Up, the podcast that reboots, remakes, reimagines, sequels, sidequels, and adapts some of your favorite and least favorite properties from film, television, and what have you. And on this episode, this was a challenge of an episode, and <laughs> that makes me so much more excited to do these when it's just kind of an easy, well, we're just modernizing it. It's still fun, but it, the challenge is part of the fun of this show, and my guest today that suggested this uh, reboot or remake definitely threw some curveballs at me with this uh, title here. We've got uh, Tondi from my handle is Jonathan Blade here. What's up, Hobbit? Uh, Tondi, it's the last time on you. It was uh, Predator uh, that you you did some fortune telling Nostradamus style of the next <laughs> Nicolas Cage movie with your uh, adaptation of Predator. Yeah, that just means a basic. <laughs> <laughs> well, about as basic as Nicolas Cage. And, uh, yeah. I, you know, if you're going to be basic, that Okay, I'll take that one. Yeah, in, in my mind, the movie I imagined is is better than jujitsu, but it's probably not. But in my mind, I'm going to hold on to the the idea that it's better than jujitsu. You've just expressed the feeling of every single writer in Hollywood <laughs> has their script and goes, "This is going to be brilliant. This will be Oscar nominated." And then they cast the dude from Miami Vice in it, and he's like, "Okay, <laughs> I don't." Don Johnson. Don Johnson yeah. in it, and he's like, "Okay, well." There goes that idea. Concept <laughs> versus uh, realization is usually a big jump. Uh, in, yeah, in that's why things. I just artistically, I just choose to never do anything. And it works out really nicely for me. That fantasy world is very rich. And that's what I love about this show, actually, <laughs> is that for those unfamiliar, we take a property, film, television, or what have you, as I said, and we come up with ideas for reboots, remakes, reimaginings. And uh, we cast it, we throw a director on there, talk about tone, talk about how you modernize it or change it for for your style and kind of play around with it. We, we have four versions total. One version is the take that we think would be the best way to do it. And one take that's definitely not the best way to do it, but is kind of a fun outside the box. But is the fun, yes. The remix version. So I, without further ado, <laughs> we are talking about a Christopher Guest movie, uh, Waiting for Guffman, which is incredibly funny, but it's not one of the most well-known Christopher Guest movies. It's, it's yeah, uh, yeah. I, I chose this for a very specific reason because I, I have experience in the waiting for Guffman arena. I did, you know, community theater functionally kind of avant-garde community theater. So I remember the, the improv exercise, warm-up exercises. I remember thinking that you're, you're big shit in a small pond because we were, and uh, yeah, that, that whole waiting for Guffman experience, I've had that experience. I also have had that as the uh, title character of Boy in one act play, Les Filles Absolutement, uh, <laughs> at Mary Baldwin College. My roommate at the time was a 
theater director major. And because Mary Baldwin at that point was an all girls school, guess who got pulled into a lot of the, uh, the acting stuff when <laughs> it's they, not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. Oh, trust me. No, there were definitely pros to living with the overlord <laughs> lesbian of Mary Baldwin college. Uh, that, not complaining, That's amazing. but also th- this is a movie that Amy Bogart, my co-host and well, co-life host had never her. seen, has seen Christopher <laughs> Guest movies, had not seen waiting for Guffman. And she is a theater major. You know, she went to SCAD, like she did the thing. And oh, she's, she's young, huh? It, well, for another month, she'll be young. And then ah. <laughs> and she gets that relief of like, okay, 20s are behind her. Cool. I don't feel as bad anymore. Um, <laughs> but she, she had had that same experience and watching Waiting for Guffman, she was like squealing at the screen. Why have I not seen this movie before? Because it <laughs> speaks so much truth about like community theater and small mm. theater. And what I also love about Christopher Guest movies in the first place that is very true in this movie as well is that though the characters are quirky and they're that's where the humor comes from is these amazing weird muted performances by these incredible actors but it's not so much aimed at making fun of them you're still rooting for them there's still a warm-hearted kind of underdog current through all of these movies whether it be best in show or for your consideration or waiting for guffman you want these characters to succeed you well you know christopher guest said that's his thing he he doesn't set out to make fun of people he doesn't really like the uh, the term mockumentary he, sure. he sets out to explore the emotional lives of these insular cultures you know while he's having fun while he's making some brilliant comedy but it's it's more about the exploration of the insular culture than it is about making fun of people and you can definitely see that with his kind of first move into this quote-unquote mockumentary style with the Rob Reiner-directed movie, This is Spinal Tap. And Mm -hmm. we did a whole mockumentaries episode on Geeks Under the Influence that you can hear us talk and wax poetic about Spinal Tap and other mockumentaries. But that is really where the style of Christopher Guest movies got started. And Waiting for Guffman is, is, I mean, beat for beat, completely a Christopher Guest movie. (laughs) You've got... You know, all the all the big hitters, Fred Willard, uh, Catherine O'Hara, uh, Eugene Levy, like all, all all his folks are in this. So it's really hard to figure out how who do you get to direct this if it's not Christopher Guest? What tone are you looking for? Do you, What actors do you in, engage in with this story? And who I'm I'm really interested to see kind of your approach to it. Now, I do thoroughly suggest anybody that has not had the chance to see waiting for Guffman to do so uh, before digging into this episode because it is wildly entertaining and uh, well worth your time. I believe it's on HBO Max, if I if I remember correctly, and uh, I'm, I'm sure it's available for rent on a number of different services as well if you don't have HBO Max. But Yeah, I bought it on digital, so it's, it's, a, it's out there. Um, I think I have the DVD, which is how it came to mind immediately, but yeah, it's, it is definitely out there. So I, I thoroughly suggest checking it out, but let's get into, I mean, let's just get into it. Cause I feel like there's going to be a lot of explanations coming on with this episode <laughs> here. So for your overall tone, are you approaching it as a mockumentary? Are you doing it stylistically different? Are you making it comedy or just a drama or what, what what's your go here? Uh, so my serious take is still a mockumentary. It's still the same tone. Um, just modernized in a number of ways, but we're still going for the 
the same Christopher Guest mockumentary style. Okay. I am going a little bit of an evolution from the mockumentary style, definitely inspired by that real uh, documentary uh, aesthetic and has evolved from that into what's known as uh, the mumblecore (laughs) subgenre of independent film. Uh, This was made big by uh, Hannah Takes the Stairs, Baghead, a number of other like super indie movies where the main focus is that they're more dialogue driven and are filmed in a almost documentary style, very uh, ultra real style. Supposed to be like people, like regular people. Regular as people. As far as the presentation. Exactly. And and then the, the language is very uh, like half uh, improvised where there's a general script, but they can go off the script to make it feel more uh, more like real conversation, less mm. scripted. And uh, it's become kind of an imprint for a lot of, more modern indie movies on how it's approached. And and there's some big actors and directors that have come from the, that known people that have come from that mumblecore movement. And I figured as far as like an evolution of that Christopher guest mockumentary style, something that's got its comedic moments, but it's more of a kind of like if manic pixie dream girl was a style of movie making, this would be that, you know, it's that (laughs) kind of like, Warm and sad at the same time with a whimsical note to it is uh-huh. the the kind of tone. Uh, think basically um, Garden State uh-huh. as a genre. And then, <laughs> then Elizabethtown. Th- those are kind of the more like better financed indie movies that are a direct response to the Mumblecore movement. So the, mm. the Mumblecore is more of like a super indie version um, of, of those movies. So you're going to get, well, we'll get into some of the, heavy hitters of Mumblecore in the in the moving <laughs> forward on this one. So I'm excited to hear it. So with your story, are you sticking to pretty much the same story arc or are you going a little bit different with that? The um the trappings of the story are different. Um so in my story, what is happening is that uh of course you're familiar with collabs. We're doing one right now. Uh it's mm-hmm. a it's a mega YouTube collab going across all genres of YouTube. Oh, wow. And sponsored by Surge, which is being relaunched <laughs> by a Chinese company. Wow. So basically the same story is what you're saying. Yes. Uh, yeah. No no changes, really. <laughs> but the, the, the beats and the way that people occupy their spaces uh, in this story are going to be, they're going to be very similar. Sure. Uh, with me, the, again, it's going to be a little bit less of the, quirky character funny kind of approach and more of like whimsical as opposed to like directly few uh, more smiles than laughs is what I'm going uh-huh. for with this kind of look. And the one thing that I really wanted to tackle is that the, the overall story arc is relatively the same, but the major note that's being hit is wanting to be closer to your true self, like, or your, or what you want to be, who you want to be, what you want to do. And that's touched on in the original that at the end, the, Actors end up like some go to Hollywood, some move to try to find their their place in the world. And I really wanted to dig into that. Except for poor Parker Posey. (laughs) Except for poor Parker Posey. But in addition to that, I wanted to definitely approach the character of Corky St. Clair a little bit more uh, uh, with with a modern touch. Um, Uh there, There is a way that it can be misconstrued the intention of the character of Corky that was played by Christopher Guest. 
I was thinking uh, about that as I was watching it, actually. So yeah, I agree. Th- that it's not overtly like cringy, but it is definitely, you know, every single gay trope is being used at the same time mm-hmm. with that character. And that's the thing is like, you don't need to go that hard to still have that character. I mean, theater gay, you have a theater gay from New York. Okay, cool. But you don't have to go with the lispy voice <laughs> and then the weird clothes. And like, that's just too much. You have the self-important theater gay, the one that, theater kind of approach and then you're not playing with the gay tropes you're playing with the theater nerd tropes and i think Uh that that's way more of a it's not distracting from the intention of the film with a bunch of weird unnecessary tropes you're you're still hitting those notes and exactly so, so that's my approach with it otherwise it's um really just a conversation of people pushing away from the things that are inhibiting them and trying to get to a place where they feel like they're fully realized is is my main focus so so, so you're you're looking towards uh, in entertaining a younger audience, I think. A little bit, yeah. I think this yeah. this tone. There's notes of it that are going to be there. That's a spiritual nod, I think, to the original, but it is definitely intended for the next generation. You know, generation that looks at 1996 clothes from Waiting for Guffman and go like, "Oh God, why were they wearing that?" <laughs> no, everyone was wearing that back then. Like, it's not. <laughs> that's not out of place, really. If you were in Missouri in 96, you saw people looking like that walking down the street. And probably a lot of hate crimes, yeah. A lot. <laughs> a whole lot. That's also something that I had trouble with because I do consider making sure that there's better representation in a lot of my castings. But Christopher Guest movies are so white in general that it's really, yeah. and especially something in Blaine, Missouri, it's <laughs> it feels like there was only so much I could do without it feeling like authentic exactly yeah mm-hmm. and so i i had to kind of just i mean there is some representation but not much and i felt weird about it but any more than that and it's just completely yeah it's inauthentic it doesn't it feels like it's trying to be the same thing that 2016 ghostbusters was where <laughs> it it pushed it too hard you can still have that conversation without it being only about that conversation uh-huh and, yeah sure let's get into your casting all right Director first, let's see. So because I'm basically doing a modern mockumentary for the directors, uh, co-directors, we have Jorm and Kiv, uh, Jorma Tacon and Akiva Schaefer, the directors of Popstar. So Lonely Island, basically. Wow, yep. Okay, no, I'm mad that I didn't even consider that. That is such a, duh. Yeah, they're they're perfect. Uh, Popstar is actually one of my favorite comedies of all time. (laughs) It's immediately came to mind. It's so dumb where you're almost thinking it's too dumb, but it just stops right where it needs to before it gets too dumb. Like it just kind of, it knows what it is and it plays with that space. I love it. Yeah. And everybody's great. They're having fun. They, Mm -hmm. they generate a genuine camaraderie there. Love it. But uh, for my cast, for my players as uh, Corky St. Clair, who in this version is a bread tuber. And if you're not familiar with bread tubers are, they're basically video essayists who are incredibly left. Like, like they're super left. They're obnoxiously left. And uh, <laughs> uh, in this case, yeah, they're, they're insufferable. But uh, in this case, Bill Hader is going to be the Corky St. Clair of the project. So he is uh, the, the person who was reproached by Serge uh, because of his huge presence. And he's the one who is trying to coordinate all of the players to come together to, the, to do this mega collab. Okay. 
I like that. Bill Hader is incredibly talented. Yeah. And can, yeah. and obviously from SNL can create any character he wants to for this uh, role. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, and then for Libby Mae Brown, who was uh, Parker Posey in the original movie, we have uh, Heidi Gardner, also from SNL. Uh, she does makeup tutorials. And basically, it's the same character that she does on SNL already, who's like, uh, she has a YouTuber character uh, who's taken, actually, she does that same character for Instagrammer, but it, it's all like young people culture. Sure. And and she's, she's going to rock it uh, as this makeup tutorialist. I do want to point out that we both have definitely shooting for your younger younger generation approach to this in our own ways. Um, and it's going to make us sound so fundamentally old on how we get close, but don't quite hit it. On oh, how I'm, to do these. I'm, I'm an old person. I am so removed. Uh, the being a nerd gets me kind of in touch, but you know, I'm still like two generations removed. It's all good. I say, I call it the TikToks for a reason is that <laughs> I get why people, I get why it's popular. I do. It's just, it's so not my bag at all. It's I'm right there with you. Yeah. Uh, but you know, TikTok <laughs> is, is actually a, a phenomenon for like soccer moms and stuff. So the olds have uh, joined that culture. It's just a regular thing. I think uh, what's the new thing um, with the audio interaction clubhouse. That's where all the, the people are going now. Oh God. There's another one. Yeah. Oh yeah. no. <laughs> I just stopped wearing cargo shorts. Like I'm not, I can't, I can't keep up with all this shit. Just put them in a closet because everything old is new again. It's going to come back. Sweet. All right. So for Dr. Alan Pearl, who is Eugene Levy, we have Andy Samberg because Lonely Island. Yes. Uh, and he is Dr. Mike, uh, who's a, an online YouTube doctor. And he builds audience by doing silly presentation to a drive engagement, you know, Clown nose, maybe nerdy stuff, whatever. Like the Patch yeah. Adams of dentistry kind of deal. Yeah. Or, oh no, that's so fucking perfect. Yeah, he's 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 gonna be awesome. Um, then we have the Albertsons, who were uh, Catherine, Catherine O'Hara and Fred Willard. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are played by Will Ferrell and Kristen Wiig, and they're basically the Holdernesses. And the Holdernesses are a obnoxious YouTube family that does music videos with their kids. Oh God. Yeah. So like yeah. the YouTuber version of like Partridge family. Yes. They uh, are horribly obnoxious. Oh no, <laughs> but they're perfect. They're perfect. Um, and then as far as Lloyd Miller, who was the, uh, the, the composer who, who led the music for the, the play was played by Bob Balaban. Uh, in this production, he plays video game themes on a harp. And it's Jay Barakel. Yes, my boy. <laughs> Woohoo! You can thank Hobbit for getting in there, Jay. Yay. Uh, <laughs> uh, Johnny Savage, who is the handsome one, uh, and this one is not the handsome one. He's a Twitch tuber. He plays video games online. Pete Davidson. Perfect. Yep. Uh, Glenn Welsh, who was the mayor, uh, was Larry Miller in the original production, in this production. Jason Sudeikis. Uh, who is not a mayor. He's the representative from the uh, the brand collab from Surge, basically. He's the Surge brand representative. That makes more and sense, then, yeah. And then Steve Stark, who was on city council, uh, Michael, Michael Hitchcock in the original one. Uh, and this one is Will Forte as the assistant representative for the Surge brand. Damn. You went off on the casting on this. Right. Holy shit. But I've got two more characters. Uh, so they do their collab. 
they're trying to keep it open because the biggest YouTuber of all time is this guy named Guffman. Yeah. And Guffman's like Mr. Beast. So uh, they see that that Guffman has dropped dropped into the super chat as the, after they do this live collab. So they try to interact with them, and they see it's not Guffman. It's false Guffman. It's Seth Rogen as false Guffman who won some kind of contest on Guffman's channel and is now running Guffman's uh, channel for a day. <laughs> That's perfect. Hell yeah. So, <laughs> uh, and then we we see Guffman, but he never interacts with the the main core cast, and Guffman is James Franco. Damn. Yep. That's so weirdly fitting. I mean, like, all the, all the beats of the movie, all the ways that the characters interact with each other somehow fit the same thing, which speaks to creators and the way that people get their content, though it has changed the interaction, the, the relationships are still there kind of the same way. Yeah. People are people, people don't change. Yeah. The, the, the trappings that we live in change, but people are still people. Ooh, I, I'd be interested to see. And that's the thing you could have made a waiting for Guffman remake this way during quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> you could have done that. Um, you'd have to be kind of smart about how you approached it with both in, in uh chat shots and then, you know, separate ones uh i mean if snl people. could pull it off then yeah fair yeah fair point fair point they, they they didn't pull it off well maybe the first time but after that it kind of came together pretty well so well i've seen that with a few things especially some of the late night hosts they're the ones that are really adapting very well to the no studio audience thing and the other ones that are just kind of barely scraping by there's there's winners and losers to every uh think on your feet <laughs> moment it's the time at which you have to accept that you're an old yeah yeah, I've, that's coming into crystal clarity with my uh, my birthday about a month away and <laughs> it being one of those uh, divisible by 10 birthdays. So it's going to be podcast like a young man. <laughs> you simply adopted the podcast. I was born into it, molded by it. <laughs> Remember when there wasn't such a thing as a pod player, you had to download your episodes <laughs> before streaming was an option. Um, you found it in RSS feed. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, so, yeah, I, I have uh, for my director, Noah Bombach. Nice. And uh, if you are unfamiliar, he's done a number of stuff, both independent in that Mumblecore uh, approach and stuff that has been a little bit more popular. Uh, Margot at the, at the Wedding is a, a classic Mumblecore movie. Squid and the Whale, uh, Greenberg, Francis Ha, which uh, starred his wife. He's married to Greta Gerwig. Mm-hmm. He did the Merowitz stories. Uh, he did Marriage Story, which yep. is uh, really kind of his biggest accolade at this point because, holy crap, that's a great movie. Yeah, um, I own The Squid and the Whale. It's not bad either. No, not at all. And then uh, he is also the writer of The Life Aquatic and Fantastic Mr. Fox as well. So I did not know that. Yeah. Nice. So he's he's got versatility. And the one thing that I was joking about with uh, with Amy earlier when I was trying to come up with this is that I had at first thought about tapping Wes Anderson to do a mm. version of this. But Wes Anderson just feels like a non-mockumentary style Christopher Guest movie. <laughs> like Cuz it's, it's so white. It's so white. It's it's so no, it's uh it's affluent white. You know the the uh the waspy side of white and I it was just too close. It was too close for it to really work that way. With No Bombach there's a kind of a a poorness to it. I don't know. There's it's it's, it's a little bit more approachable and real um, in, in that non-documentary style. So I really liked that idea and we're getting some 
uh, theater actors uh, and that are both in film and theater. And uh, we also have some mumblecore uh, big names as well. For Corky St. Clair, I wanted the theater kind of tone where pretentious um, and kind of full of themselves because they were in one off-Broadway production of something in New York. <laughs> and then later, after they were in the production, it went to Broadway but it wasn't because of them at all, you know, and, but they have that like thing that they can point to. I have been involved. Yes, exactly. Uh, like the person that tried out for a band that got popular later, but they were never in the band. They just tried out for it when they started and they're like, Oh no, I tried out for that band. Oh, like the Clarences. Yeah. You don't remember the Clarences, do you? No. All right. So the, uh, the fifth Beatle was actually Clarence and it was Eddie Murphy. Oh, I think <laughs> I do remember that. Skit. Yeah. <laughs> That you play the of, record backwards and you can hear the bands conspiring to get rid of Clarence. <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And I really wanted that tone to be how they approached uh, Corky Sinclair in this version. So it's not not 90 minutes of gay jokes. It's more about him being a pretentious like theater actor, but people buying into it. Like that he's, <laughs> it's the same trope that's used in a million things. Even in like Hot Fuzz, there were the two actors that were in extras and straw dogs. You know, there's there's always that. Trope, even in uh, Shit's Creek, which is so Christopher Guest adjacent, mm -hmm. it feels almost like a continuation of Waiting for Guffman in some ways. Uh, Moira. Because the Levy family, yeah. Yeah. And Moira <laughs> very much has that same kind of like quirky St. Clair energy of being just like this kind of minorly successful actress. And the whole town is like, holy shit, we have a celebrity. <laughs> so uh, for that, I'm going with Zachary Quinto. Nice. For that role. Uh, totally see that. Of course, Star Trek, Nosferatu, uh, Heroes. American Horror Story, but really I'm looking more at uh, the boys in the band, which was uh, a little rough because talk about like something that didn't age the best. It was um, a stage play that mm -hmm. was done in like right before the Stonewall riots. Oh, and, that's good. Yeah. And it's about a bunch of gay men that are basically like really fucking hateful to each other. And it's all about like self-hatred within the gay community. And that's the, the conversation it's having. But it was written before there was really like a more nuanced conversation about that and a, a really a push to get away from that kind of attitude. So it comes off as right. really jarring in the film version of it, mm -hmm. which is available on Netflix. And, uh, and Zachary Kinto is, and, and to their credit, they did cast uh, members of the LGBTQ community to be in the roles for these characters, which I think is like kind of important to uh, allow for you know, gay characters to be played by gay actors and actresses. So I, I wanted that to be the case here as well. And as, uh, his character in Boys in the Band is this just like, I mean, that kind of person that can say something that's an offhand insult, but it is so stinging and so sharp without any effort. And so I want to have a little bit of that energy in this role for Corky. Then for Ron Albertson, I wanted the kind of borderline controlling husband attitude about it, mm -hmm. where he knows more about acting than his wife does. He's not abusive with it but he's definitely stepping on her a little bit with their their acting together um adam driver who's been in a million no bomb box stuffs uh he he's one of his regular go-tos and he is married to sheila albertson so this is fred willard and Catherine o'hara um that's greta gerwig no bomb box wife has nice. been in several uh movies they've collaborated and written stuff together and uh i think it also, their height difference would be kind of interesting to see on screen <laughs> as well, because, you know, as we all know, Adam Driver is like seven feet tall. He's a monstrous He's man. He's a gigantic man. Right before doing this, I rewatched the John Oliver 
where where he wanted to be crushed by Adam Driver and Adam Driver and then Adam get on in. the show. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's some of the <laughs> one of the most brilliant moments on that show. So we got Adam Driver, Greta Gerwig as the the married couple. Then we've got Libby Mae Brown, and uh, I will probably mispronounce the first name of this actress, uh, Sir Royce Ronan. Sersha? Sersha. That's what it is. Sersha Ronan uh, has been in a million things. Lovely Bones, Brooklyn, Hannah, Lady Bird, Little Women, The Way Back, uh, and Grand Budapest Hotel, just to name a few. Mm -hmm. She is an indie darling that has uh, been involved in both Mumblecore and major productions as well. Yes, indeed. Yeah. She... um, (laughs) You know, I, I have feelings about Lady Bird and Little Women. Which I both I think both of them are good movies and neither one of them appeal to me. I, I get exactly what you mean is that this is great for the people that it's aimed at. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, both of them uh, scream white people problems to me. I get that very much. Yeah, <laughs> and that's honestly like some of this like mumblecore stuff very much has that same kind of attitude about it. Which <laughs> when you look at a lot of the Christopher Guest stuff as well, kind of yeah. has that same. I mean, best in show. Yeah, but Christopher Guest is taking the piss out of white people problems. That's true. That's why I love his movies. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, then we've got for Dr. Alan Pearl, another person that came from the Mumblecore movement. I'm, I'm swearing to stop saying that. Um, <laughs> we've got Mark Duplass. Uh, I know the name, but what's he from? Uh, Safety Not Guaranteed, which is one of my favorite like indie time travel movies of all time. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. It's so kind of it's whimsical and warm-hearted and there's no venom behind it but it's goofy at the same time and the league he was in the league uh he was in greenberg uh he did creep one and two the super independent horror films um and uh hannah takes the stairs as well was like one of his entries into that that genre um then we've got for bob balaban I did a gender swap on this um, because I thought it would be more interesting instead of having the competition between the the two men, it being more of like a classic, like woman that does a lot of productions for the church in town that is uh-huh. taking over some of the local theater things. And then this, you know, big time New York actor person comes in and takes over. And it's like, I've been doing this for years. What is the issue? And she kind of screams woman that plays piano at church to me a little bit in this kind of role. Um, And I could see also having that just there's two minutes of dialogue on her face uh, of annoyance when look (laughs) dealing with uh, Zachary Kinto's character and incredible actress Octavia Spencer is who I went for for that one from Ma, Hidden Figures, The Help, Shape of Water, Uh, incredible actress. And she reads so much on her face with her acting. They could play off each other nicely. There's a nice contrast there. There could be some really interesting scenes between those two actors, actually. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's uh, Barb Balaban instead of Bob. <laughs> and then we've got uh, the only other casting that I got, and it's going to be a, a played a little bit more in both versions that I have, is uh, Steve Stark, who is the councilman that was a little too into the uh, the production he, he yeah. was clearly like a super fanboy for uh, Corky. And that was played for laughs. Like the dude that is kind of slowly realizing that he's into it for more than just the acting uh-huh. purposes. I want to kind of put a little bit more of a charmed 
tone to that mm-hmm. where there's almost a mutual kind of like, mm. and the the flip in the story is that Corky isn't, doesn't have a, a, a wife. No one's met mm-hmm. uh, that Steve Stark has a wife that like is there at, at the production with him is uh, a present figure in the world. And it's more like him kind of realizing like, fuck, <laughs> I'm, uh, something has awakened in me. <laughs> it's the, uh, this, you know, red, white, and Blaine uh, really <laughs> opened up my heart a little bit. And uh, more about somebody kind of realizing, you know, the idea that when you have access to, uh, if, if access to other ways of, of being and other, other people and cultures and ideas, that's when you can kind of realize more about yourself from being, having access to it, having an understanding of it. So that that's what I want to kind of get from Steve Stark is that that's it's great. more of like, Oh, gay. <laughs> That's like his first real like interaction with it, with an open, like Corky is going to be an openly gay man. There's no hinting at it or anything. No, he's fully openly gay. No problem. You know, I don't know that Steve Stark's adoration in the movie was, was sexual. Um, it was, it, played it was fawning and it was, it was all in, but I don't know that. I don't know that that was the intention of that character. Like it definitely could be read that way. There was a longing look when he went up to Corky St. Clair after the production. And he was like, you know, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And then Corky turns to talk to somebody else. And then uh, Steve is walking away and he looks back and it looks like a longing look at Corky. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah. So that that's how I read it and I can fully understand somebody else playing it a different way and just have somebody that's like way too into local theater. <laughs> you know, it's the same person that's just like any popular band. They're like, no, I only listen to local. And it's like, you mean the person that's like shitting in a bucket and then hitting a cymbal like that noise band that played last week. <laughs> like that's real music, man. Settle down. <laughs> I, I had a buddy that took me to the bird theater once to show me the organ player and the look that he gave me as he was watching the organ player. Cause he wanted me to see this organ player was that Steve look. So okay, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe your friend gets horny for organ. I mean, maybe, maybe also, I would love that to be the name of this episode. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's my casting is uh, for, Oh, I didn't say who Steve Stark was. Um, I went with Matt Bomber, and if you are unfamiliar, he was one of the uh, he was the main dude in White Collar. Uh, he's in Doom Patrol as uh, Negative Man, I think. Uh, ah. He was in Boys in the Band, Mike uh, Magic Mike Double XL. Uh, that that huge role for him, and then uh, In Time, which was nice. the uh, interesting idea, not the best execution um, sci fi movie with I think Justin Timberlake. I think was in that. Yeah, I saw him as. Negative. I watched just enough Doom Patrol to catch him yep. at the tail end of what I watched. Yeah, I, I finished most of season one, I think, is where I I landed at the moment. I'm going to go back and finish it. It just it got a little bit, it dragged a little bit for me. Uh, just there. wanted to support Brendan Fraser, that's all. <laughs> Seriously, now that he's getting back out there and doing things, even if he is uh, a metal man in this one. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we have our, our real takes, the way that we would approach this if we had the best options available to us. Now we are going into the remix version and this remix. is where it's going to get very weird. I'm sure moving forward with this. So for your remix, are you keeping it as a modern tale? Are you doing a, a period piece? Are you doing a drama action comedy anime? Like what are we doing here? Uh, pitch two. 
is torture porn. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I am interested to, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I don't know. I have no fucking idea how you're doing this. Let, let's just get in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what I wanted to do was still be able to gather these people, but in a different genre. So a group of loosely connected people, all connected through their friend Guffman, have been invited to a place and gathered together. Uh, when they get into the place, they find out they're trapped and they're forced to act out improv games uh, as they slowly are murdered when they fail in the improv games, uh, leading to the surprise ending of the movie. But uh, under these circumstances, my director's James Wan. Yeah. And, yeah. Because of course. Because of course. And uh, the Corky, who is the person who is actually implementing all of the torture, who is directing this project, is John Malkovich. Oh, yeah. I would not be surprised if we found out that John Malkovich had a bunch of people locked up in his basement. I, I mean, <laughs> but the thing is, he'd be like, it's for research. And people are like, ah, <laughs> it might be. Yeah, I actually spent the early afternoon watching sketches with John Malkovich to see if I could pull off a uh, John Malkovich impression. I can't, but no. it was fun. I realized this on a previous episode of something that uh, John Malkovich is just Werner Herzog without the accent. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. 100%. Uh, but <clears throat> my players are, and it's not really important uh, as to who is who in this one. They're just victims. They're just there to be pretty and be victims. Uh, as... Uh, Libby Mae Brown, I have uh, Yara Shahadi, who is from Grownish and Blackish. She's mm -hmm. the eldest daughter. Uh, for Dr. Alan Pearl, we have Dan Levy, uh, okay. Eugene's son. Um, as the Albertsons, we have Olivia Wilde from House and mm -hmm. the director of Booksmart. And then for Ron Albertson, we have Ryan Reynolds. Okay. he's pretty, yeah. Yeah. Um, for... Bob or Bob Alban, Lloyd Miller, the uh, pianist, uh, Jay Barakel again. Yay. <laughs> uh, Johnny Savage is Henry Golding, who was the, uh, the lead of, um, the, uh, what was the Asian movie? The, the, <laughs> what was the, the one, the, the, the one Asian in the title, the, uh, crazy rich Asians. Oh, okay. <laughs> he, he was the, not, not the, Generic Asian movie, but actually had Asian in the title. Uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Henry Golding. Oh, Golding was the lead in that. Okay. Uh, and then for, uh, actually, those are all my main characters. And then in the end, we find out that uh, their friend Guffman, who they're all waiting for, they're waiting for Guffman to come and rescue them from this situation. They uh, were fooled into gathering under these circumstances because they thought that Guffman gathered them. They were like, no, it wasn't Guffman. This guy fooled us. John Malkovich fooled us into gathering here, but Guff somehow they figure out that Guffman's still coming. And in the end, Guffman does come and it's John C. Riley. Uh, but John C. Riley is actually the mastermind of this torture gathering. And in the end, everybody gets killed, including, um, including John Malkovich. All right, sweet. So, it sounds like it's very, it, of course, Saw-ish saw with your approach to it, but also with the casting, it's going to be a hell of a lot funnier than a normal Saw movie. Yeah. Uh, there's going to yeah. be a lot of leaning in on this one uh, for some of the actors. I, I know that, at the very least, uh, Olivia Wilde and Ryan Reynolds would have so much fun in those roles. 
Oh, yeah, they're going to have a blast. And John C. Riley as well. And even John Malkovich. Uh, he, if, uh, what was the Space, uh, Space Force show that was on Netflix that had one season that John Malkovich was in that he got to really play with his straight man against Steve Carell a little bit more? And he did a great job. He could. Yeah. He should be in no, more comedies. No, he he can be funny, and John C. Riley can do intense really well as, yeah. as well, which we don't get to see him in those roles very often. But yeah, he can do intense very well. Well, they say if you can do comedy, then you can do about anything else. So mm-hmm. and John C. Riley can definitely do comedy. So for mine, I'm definitely going a very different direction than the <laughs> uh, the the original. That's part of the fun of this, and the plot that is coming into this before I share the director is that this is not in Blaine, Missouri. This is actually a border town in Texas Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, is, you know, it's a dying town and the theater uh, community is small and struggling to keep this local theater open. They're not getting nearly as much financing from the, from the council as they used to, because there just aren't as many people in town. And uh, Corky St. Clair is a minimally successful uh, actor in Mexico in the neighboring town that's just across the border uh, that shares the same name. There's a couple of those towns in in the U.S. and Mexico mm-hmm. that are kind of split almost. And this is one of those. And uh, the councilman, Steve Stark, is a local councilman that's trying to figure out a way to save the local like arts community, basically. And they're in an affair. Uh, Steve Stark is married. Um, he is on the down low. Uh, Nicio del Toro is the Corky St. Clair character and, nice. and he is open, a uh, gay actor in Me- Mexico. And, uh, the tone is entirely informed by the director, uh, Alejandro, uh, Inaritu, Inaritu, yeah. Inaritu, uh, Birdman, the Revenant, Babel, 21 grams, uh, Amor Peros. Very. Bleak. So this is going to be a lot. It's bleak. Let's <laughs> say <laughs> bleak story. And the basic idea is that the councilman comes up with an idea that, you know, this town has had some bloody history over over its time in existence. And if they, as kind of a performance stunt, get the two parts of the town to work together to create this theater production about the history of the town uh-huh. and showing, like, the community that's happened now versus the history behind it, it would be a media sensation that people would pick up on and share all over the internet as this heartwarming story about, like, two different cultures coming together to do a thing. And that's his idea. And, you know, his, his boyfriend who is in the theater community, he's like, so you, you need to help me with this. And he like begrudgingly agrees to uh-huh. uh, help out. And so there's the, the love triangle thing happening with, you know, with Steve's wife being around here and there and him having to just like pretend to not be fucking the councilman <laughs> in front of everybody. Um, also uh Corky, uh, who's that's his nickname. That is not his, that's not his, uh, birth name. Uh-huh. In this. Um, his niece, uh, that he, that he takes care of is, uh, going to be Libby May Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's going to be his niece that he's bringing on, um, as one of the cast members, uh, from Mexico that's coming over to kind of incorporate into some of the actors that normally are involved in the town's productions. So, um, we've got, for Corky St. Clair, Benicio Del Toro, as I said, uh, for the Albertsons, they are going to be my waspy couple that it's like the, it, that is all the conversation about privilege is coming ma- ma- mainly from those two. Uh-huh. They're self-important. Um, they think they deserve everything. They're challenged by the fact that 
they still have to audition, even though they've been in two of of uh, of uh, Bob Balaban's plays before, and they have to audition for this new director, and they're just furious about it. And like, yeah, that fence walky racist where no overt <laughs> no overt terms are used, but it is absolutely implied. Uh, so we've got for Ron Albertson, I went with uh, Donald Gleason, who, nice. who was in The Revenant and has worked with the director before. Very versatile actor. Uh, he's done warm and inviting character and also like demented, hateful character from his uh-huh. Star Wars stuff that he's done. So he can make that turn. And I really needed an actor that could do that. You know, that could go from like kind of warm, friendly, and then just hateful on a dime. Uh, then for Sheila Albertson, I went with an actress that is blowing me the fuck away uh, with her most recent film, Carrie Mulligan. If, ah. you, if you have not seen Promising Young Woman. Yeah, it's a lot. It's it's an intense movie, and it, it talks about some very challenging um, things about consent. and But it's done in such a way that's not at all exploitative that I was yes, incredibly I was definitely impressed. a fan. Yeah, it was incredibly well done. And her choices, her acting choices in that were above and beyond. Um, very playing it muted when some actors would go big and it just worked better that way. I was very, very impressed and a great list of movies, promising young woman drive the great Gatsby. The first time that I was aware of her, she played uh, Sally Sparrow in the blink episode of doctor who. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Uh, so th- that's, did you see her in the dig? Do what? I think it's called the dig. No, uh, that, I've seen the trailer for it. It looks really good. I haven't had a chance to see it yet. Interesting. Yeah. That's like during what World War One or something or World War Two or it's I believe it takes place after World War One or before, but it, that's not the setting. It's it's about finding uh, an archaeological uh, buried archaeological site uh, on her property. Uh, it's really really good, and it's based on a true story. So okay, I it looked good from what I remember. But she's a great actress, I think, would be able to nail the, like, privileged white girl, like, attitude that's, like, looks down on other people. 100%. Then we've got uh, Libby Mae Brown, the niece of Benicio Del Toro. She, a little younger than I was looking for, but she's such a phenomenal actress that I I couldn't think of somebody that would do better than Daphne Keene, who you may know as, uh, she was in Logan. She was uh, in Ah, his his Dark Materials as well right now, uh, which is the Golden Compass series how old is she now uh she's like 16 or 17 so she's close like she could huh. play a, she she's a couple years younger than what i was aiming for which was like 19 20 year old now actress, that works so just but if you make her niece then there's an understanding why she's there and it's it's fine you can still play that role there's nothing overtly sexual about that character with you just uh-huh. pull back a little bit on her audition uh from how <laughs> parker posey did it Teacher's pride. Yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe a different choice. Um, and then we've got Dr. Alan Pearl. And this actor was in uh, Beautiful, a lesser known uh, film by the director. Uh, and incredible actor, uh, Javier Bardem. Nice. I could see him as just like a gruff dentist slash like always been interested in acting, but never taken it up and just... He's got a presence, but he has no actual talent. And it's yeah, just like definitely just... perfect for an Inaritu movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100 percent um perfect tone for that. And then for Bob Balaban, uh, the 
normally doing the directing. And then there's definitely like a head to head thing with him and Corky St. Clair where they're battle like battling it out basically on the tone of this that Corky St. Clair is incorporating a lot of actual facts about the bloodied history of this town and how like the dark shit that happened on the border over the history of our, our United States. He's trying to incorporate that more in and have a more honest conversation about it. And of course, uh-huh. Bob is having none of that. He wants that <laughs> glossed over, uh, just completely like, like the 1776 project. Exactly. Yeah. Like just pasteurized version of the town's history and they're banging heads. Uh, the lead in Birdman, Michael Keaton, I nice. think would be brilliant in that role is just like angry and not like necessarily overtly racist so much as like, that's not how we do it here. <laughs> it's more like ingrained fundamentally. It's not something that he recognizes himself. It's just kind of, he sees himself as above just in general and mm-hmm. he doesn't even recognize it. And uh, then we have finally the Steve Stark character, the, uh, the lover of Corky St. Clair, the married man that's on the down low. Um, I picked an actor, a, a gay actor that also is from Texas. So has mm-hmm. something to like inform the role. Uh, Jim Parsons. Oh, nice. I thought would be because he can play professional and, you know, looks good in a suit kind of attitude. Trying to figure out. Uh, so he was he he played a serious role in Hidden Figures. Has he done other serious roles? I know he's done a few other serious roles. Uh, he, he, he was also in The Boys in the Band um, as. Ah one of the main characters, but also like, you know, he's done, a, I think a number of smaller serious roles. I think he does more serious roles than he does comedic roles at this point. I could see that. So I think he's trying to get away from the big bang theory stuff a little bit. Which, As people do. Yeah. You do a successful sitcom for what? 10, a decade. You have to immediately try to run. Yeah. It was like 10 or 12 years they were on. So yeah, that, and it's like the, I think the most uh, successful series of all time, I think. I, I can see that it stole it from friends if I remember correctly, but that's, yeah, I understand being like, no, we're only doing like really important artistic shit now. So that's uh, Steve Tar- Stark who is having that affair and doing the thing and trying to basically comes up with this whole cockamamie scheme. And uh, at the end of it, it ends up being where there's like a totally polarized approach to how people are playing their characters in this play. So it's like two different visions that are on stage at the same time. And so it's just so fundamentally disjointed um, that it actually kind of works in a weird way where it it is unintentionally showing the difference in the way people portray history on stage, Um, even though that wasn't the intention in the first place. So it comes off as kind of brilliant. Even though Does that's, it ever descend into uh, physical conflict? No, and there's definitely like c- coming right up to that point nice. like right to the razor's edge of it and it just doesn't get there you know they're, they're they get wrangled before that happens so yeah um, keeping that tension alive with no release is is kind of a beautiful thing yeah to be able to ride that edge and so the thing is when i came up with this i was thinking of make it dark because that would be funny but i kind of want to see this movie <laughs> like, <laughs> no i would definitely watch yeah so uh, that is that is my idea for a uh dark and uh social commentary approach to Waiting for Guffman, the the <laughs> funny Christopher Guest mockumentary. Yes. So. Uh, so now we've got our mashups and we have a few to look at here uh, before we move forward. Uh, the first one is from Amy Bogart, uh, my co-host on uh, Deeply Upsetting, a show that you should definitely check out on the network. We've got. It's real good. 
it's it's a fun show to do too. We're actually recording later tonight. You guys have incredible energy together. You are. I uh, listen to a lot of shows that do like uh, they have kind of an improved back and forth, but you guys are are really good. Like you're really good. Thanks. Together, I appreciate that. We have so much fun doing it, and we've gotten to where we can kind of read each other on. I'm gonna go, and the other person can just kind of look at the other one and know that it's time to bounce back and mm-hmm. forth. She mentioned a movie that we watched recently. She hadn't, hadn't seen before, Drop Dead Gorgeous, which nice. I think is a great choice for a Christopher Guest kind of mashup is that you can have like beauty queens. You can have Parker Posey's character as a beauty queen. Yeah, <laughs> still in that mockumentary world. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you combine the two. Um, I don't know if you, is there, is there like a small town national local playoff like there was with the beauty queen thing and drop dead gorgeous where <laughs> just like local plays fight each other uh i could see something like that for like um like short form like uh short one x sure where you have like uh maybe a week-long session of watching uh one x from shitty small towns and uh that sounds like hell that sounds <laughs> truly awful that sounds yeah. like an open mic night at like a a beach uh, front bar uh, where p- they play Jimmy Buffett all the time. Like, <laughs> I mean, it sounds like hell for even professional theater. So yeah, yeah, like an open mic where there's the guy that's just like the drunk dad that's just like everybody tells me I'm fun. I'm gonna go up. I'm gonna go up and with like nothing prepared. <laughs> I could do it. And there's the the drunk wife like you go get him, baby, just <laughs> grabbing people's hands and like trying to make them clap and yeah. Yeah, this is this is our government experience. This is part of our government experience. It's actually funny that we've both, you know, we met in stand up and neither one of us kind of approached it in that like stand up approach to the waiting for government story instead, where there's like uh-huh. a, a, a stand up uh, version of it where a showcase of local comedians or something with a, I don't know, a major booker coming into town to check it out or something. You could definitely have that story. Oh, that would definitely be a fun take. I don't know where that stands in the culture at large, though, if that's part of the zeitgeist. Everybody's podcasting now, so. Like, even the stand-ups. <laughs> yeah. I think every stand-up started a podcast when the pandemic hit, if they didn't uh-huh. already have one. They're like, okay, I guess this is what I do now. Um, The next one actually works with the whole local community theaters battling each other. Uh, the Groots from Beautiful Disaster suggested Battle Royale as a... Nice. Uh, as a mashup for waiting for Guffman, which you get dropped off on an Island and you have to put on a play to survive. I'm not sure how that. Well, it'd probably descend into something like my second take. True. Yeah. Yeah. Like a saw style that if you, if you miss your mark, then (laughs) then your head explodes. You didn't strike that stool. (laughs) Right. You forgot your lines. Well, (laughs) Uh, and then finally, we've got the the last one. This, I don't even know how to approach this, but fuck it. We're going to try. Uh, Dale Leopold suggested the butthole cut of cats uh, mixed with. <laughs> I mean, it, it could be theater. So, yeah. I mean, instead of the, the Taylor Swift song where she's like dosing everybody with catnip, you can just have that scene about like trying to put on a local community theater version of cats with cats. With. But cats with buttholes. Yeah. Cats with buttholes. Yeah. I, I actually I have one as well. Um, this one is maybe too obvious, but I'm thinking of uh, waiting for Guffman and the producers with the 
Blaine players doing springtime for Hitler? Oh my God. That, and I cannot stress enough how much I enjoyed the music from the original Waiting for Guffman in the first place. It was uh-huh. incredible. But just that cast doing springtime for Hitler might be the funniest thing that would have ever happened. <laughs> It'd be glorious. Glorious. Holy shit. I, the pitch perfect tone, uh, a tone of springtime for Hitler in the producers of it being so inappropriate that it is, uh-huh. a, it is actually approachable because there's no way it's serious. <laughs> and then, yeah, that cast Catherine O'Hara and uh, Dan, uh, Eugene Levy and yeah, fucking perfect. I would love that. Um, I was thinking that you could do an episode, like if Glee was still around, you could do a waiting for Guffman Glee episode. Oh, that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. We're like the kids, I don't know. The kids went to a local community theater to help senior citizens put on a story of the town. <laughs> and then it's just basically beat for beat the same thing with the little kids singing songs with the elderly. And then boom, good to go. <laughs> All right. So now we, we are at the tail end, uh, which is both the train wreck and my favorite part of the episode. When we come up with our trailers for it, I think I am going to do the, uh, the remix version, Alejandro in a Ritu. I'm going to do that version. Uh, which version do you think you're going to do? Uh, I'm going to do the James Wan torture porn. All right. So we're both doing our remixes. So let me get music going. From the mind of Alejandro in a Ritu, and inspired by the classic mockumentary Waiting for Government is a story of a bloody battle between two sides of the same town. With a line drawn in the sand. Join Corky St. Clair, played by Benicio Del Toro, as he does a solid for his lover Steve Stark, a local councilman, and puts together a community theater tale of togetherness and history of the town. But whose history? This summer, join Rob, Ron Albertson and Sheila Albertson as they show their privilege, uh, played by Domino Gleason and Carrie Mulligan, and young niece Libby May, played by Daphne Keene, as she figures out that not everyone understands the world from your perspective. This this summer, Jordan Michael Keaton is Bob Balaban, a man whose vision is being skewed by Corky St. Clair, played by Benicio Del Toro. Waiting for Guzman. <laughs> Together apart. <laughs> by the by... Uh, Bob Balaban is the name of the actor. The character's name was um, Lloyd Miller. Oh, fuck, yeah. Okay. Yep. I got that backwards. Yep. Anyway. But that was perfect. Yeah. Um, I appreciate your, your assist there at the end. That was fantastic. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, all right. So, uh, so look forward to that this summer. Um, the bleak waiting for Guzman. All right. Let me get you. You know what? That would be reviewed on almost every movie show that I listen to. So, right. (laughs) All right, let's do it.
in a world in which improv is slightly more acceptable than one in which we live. What would you do if your choices were improv or death? And if you only chance your only chance of survival is if government can get to you on time. Coming this summer, directed by James Wan, Yarshahani, Dan Levy, Olivia Wilde, Ryan Reynolds, Jay Barrett, and John Malkovich are doing shitty improv to save their lives and waiting, waiting for government. He's trying to help me change my instincts, or at least ignore them. Brilliant. That is fantastic. All right. Well, I think that we need uh, both of these versions to make their way to the local Cineplex in the not too distant future. So Hollywood, call us. Uh, we'll we'll get a script together for you. With our track record, twenty twenty one, we might see these movies. No shit. Now, if you're not busy getting the money together to produce these fantastic films, uh, make sure that you check out uh, my handle is Jonathan Blade. Where can they find that stuff? Uh, so you can find my handle is Jonathan Blade on pretty much every podcatcher. Uh, it's out there. If you want to hit me up to talk to me as a creator directly, I'm on Twitter. Um, it's janky old broke hobo Spider-Man at Jonathan Blade. And uh, yeah, that's the best way to get at me because I'm on Twitter pretty much all the time. You're doing some YouTube stuff now, too? or? Uh, so I actually started as a YouTuber. Yeah. The Jonathan Blade channel precedes the My Hand Correct, Jonathan yes. Blade podcast. Yeah. And stuff goes up on the YouTube channel from time to time. But the best way to see my stuff is is or interact with my stuff is is from the podcast. Okay, cool. We're going to try to be getting you on a little bit more frequently. Uh, the last episode, you mentioned this idea and I looked back and I could have sworn the last episode you were on was like maybe six weeks ago. But it was like in October. Yeah, time <laughs> is meaningless in the age of COVID. Nothing. So we're going to try to get you on a little bit more because I love these conversations. I, I love your approach. Even your real takes on these things are still incredibly creative in their approach to it. So I do appreciate that. And I, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your uh, ideas uh, with me. Well, on this like episode. you, I love movies and I appreciate being brought on. Fuck yeah, it's so much fun to just, uh, this is such a fun sandbox to play in. So. Um, Damn Skippy. I do appreciate it. And I, th- I appreciate our listeners for checking out this episode. Make sure to rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff you do with podcasts. Uh, rating us, reviewing us brings us up in the standings so more people get access or get notice of this show. And uh, we really like that. Also, check out uh, T Public. We're going to be working on if numbers go well for a particular episode, we're going to try to work on start making shirts relating to some of the versions of those episodes. So if if you really like this episode and the numbers do really well, we could see a uh, a saw version of waiting for Guffman as a t-shirt or as a as a I'm design. just waiting for that it's T'Challa Hobbit t-shirt to uh, drop <laughs> right. on the uh, we're working on getting some of our uh, more more talented artist friends to uh, engage with us a little bit more and uh, come up with some designs for us. So we're going to be hopefully hitting that pretty hard as people have reason to leave the house more with new shirts and designs so uh, nice. wash your fucking hands get your vaccines and we'll find you next time I'm Mike the Hobbit and you just got pitched snacks. GUIPodcast.com GUIPodcast.com <laughs> 
My name is Amy Bogard. And I'm Mike the Hobbit. And we are the hosts of Deeply Upsetting, where we use our expertise to answer your most upsetting hypothetical quandaries, such as what non-wigged animal deserves wings? And what body part deserves a secret mouth? Which cryptid is the worst roommate? These questions and more that plague you will be answered on Deeply Upsetting, available anywhere you get your podcasts and at GUIPodcast.com.